0: Welcome to Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and as usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you doing?
1: I am doing pretty fantastic. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing all right. How are all of your uh, home improvement projects?
1: We are halfway done with my kitchen.
0: Halfway? We have
1: have all of the top cabinets done. It is a gorgeous, clean white. I realized Dirt shows up very quickly, so there's a new rule that you have to wash your hands before you touch my clean cabinets now. Oh, wow. But um, about one more weekend to go, and my kitchen cabinets will be completely redone. Very so nice. I basically am like a new Joanna Gaines now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of declare that now.
0: <laughs> well, you, you got to throw in some colors there that pop, too, against the white.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we mm-hmm. got the gray, so we're going to have you know the modern farmhouse chic kind of going uh-huh. on. And uh-huh. so, yeah. Gonna look amazing.
0: Well, well done. Well, this is—it's a little embarrassing to admit, but so we have white cabinets and stuff in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a specific rule about washing your hands before you touch the cabinets. (laughs) And yes, all of it shows up. Yeah. Tell exactly where people tend to grab the cabinets.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. The the white is not forgiving everything shows up there and I definitely understand people's hesitation now with white kitchens but it's just so pretty
0: it's, it it's, is pretty it's
1: just gonna be a lot to clean now
0: yeah it's it's all right yeah we just we uh we just gave up is what happened to us <laughs> like there was only so much telling kids not to touch things with filthy hands that we could do <laughs> we gave up the fight Rachel we couldn't carry on
1: it's a house. The house is supposed to be messy, right? It means it's lived in.
0: Yeah. Well, you've seen my house, so you know it looks <laughs> lived in. Uh, well, speaking of living in, we're going to talk about what happens basically when somebody dies. That's so not depressing. Um, but we're going to talk about what happens when somebody dies, at least from a, from a tax perspective, from a very narrow perspective and specifically talking about the basis step-up rules and how they interact with uh, partnerships, people who died owning partnerships. And I couldn't think of anybody better to talk to about that than Kim Pascal. Kim is a shareholder at the accounting firm Beach Fleischman. She's extremely bright, somebody that I like very much and admire, and I think she's going to be a very useful uh, source here to teach us where the road is and how we stay on the right path. So, Kim, thank you so much and welcome.
2: Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Brent. So good to join you guys this evening.
0: That's our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. How, how are you guys uh, making it here in in COVID nineteen world?
2: <laughs> it's been challenging. You know, I thought that um, last year was going to be the hardest tax season of my life with the qualified business income um, deduction changes and new rules, but this year has completely taken the cake and it has turned out to be the most bizarre tax season that I've ever been through, which I haven't even gotten through yet because the first due date hasn't even come around.
1: Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> you'll find <laughs> out. Yeah, you're going to find out.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. And you changed positions. Am I remembering that right? Did that happen this year?
2: I did. I did. So I've been with Beach Fleischman for um, 24 years, but as of the beginning of this year, I was actually promoted to the COO of the tax department.
0: Very nice. So baptism by fire.
2: Exactly. (laughs) I know, really. (laughs) It's uh, I guess, you know, the good thing is that um, as my first tax year as CEO, it's nothing that could be compared to anyone else's first year. So Nothing to compare it to.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. So nobody can say, well, so-and-so didn't do it this way.
2: Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. There's no, no comparison.
0: <laughs> well, if somebody, does, if somebody does say that, I think you're fully within your rights to come back with something like, well, then you go tell so-and-so that they had it easy.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. You're going in uncharted territories for sure this year. I know. <laughs> But I'm sticking with Well, Kim, Brent, uh, for tonight, like you were saying earlier, Brent, we're going to talk about what happens when someone passes away, um, which is a lot about what we talk about in our jobs, um, especially with with tax and estate planning, but especially here on the tax side and really focusing on uh, the step up in basis concept. I think that's a really useful and advantageous uh, tax technique to use. And a lot of people just don't really understand it and don't know it actually really exists. So I thought, you know, first we could kind of just talk about what is the step up and basis concept? How does it work? How does it work in comparison to uh, community property states and non-community property states? And then how it works with uh, partnerships and using the 754 election. And I'm sure... um, Kim, you've probably dealt with this quite a bit, so I'm sure you've got some fabulous war stories to tell us and, and just really how useful uh, this concept really is in action. So how does that sound for a plan for tonight? Sounds great, sounds great. I like
0: it, Yep. I'm enthusiastic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, um, Kim, do you want to kind of explain just what, uh, what is this whole step up in basis concept then in general?
2: Yeah, sure. So when assets are held and in a partnership setting, when there's certain changes in ownership, the remaining partners and the partnership can elect to step up the basis in the assets that are inside the partnership. And um, it doesn't always have to be done as the result of someone's death although that is one situation in which you can get a step-up in basis. But basically, basically, it's an election that's made at the partnership level to step up the inside basis of the assets to whatever their fair market value is. And this can uh, result in benefits in a lot of different ways. Some particular situations that uh, I was going to talk about that I was thinking about are um, often overlooked, um, maybe because it's the death of a spouse that owns an interest in the partnership, And a lot of times that may be a situation where step up and basis might be overlooked. So there are a lot of interesting things that can result from basis step up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And well, I think too, it's like, it's really important to kind of note that like the step up and basis concept really applies to any asset that is includable in someone's estate when they pass away. Right. So, you know, when, you know, normally when an asset is transferred upon someone's death, you know, the original owner, you know, it's oftentimes going to be worth a lot more than when it was originally purchased. For example, let's just say a house. House, hopefully, you know, if if you have good market times and, you know, you put some renovation like painting some kitchen cabinets, um, your house is going to improve in value over time. And so when you go to sell it later, it's going to be worth more than original value. And um, as a lot of people know, um when you have that uh, big adjustment from its original value to the time you sell it there can be some capital gains tax there and so kind of this step up in basis what happens is instead of the original basis of the house being that original value let's just say when you purchased it it's going to step up to a new value at like you said as of the date of death so for this house example let's just say you purchased the house for $100,000 and let's just say a couple purchased it. And then when the first spouse passes away, uh, let's just say the house is now worth $200,000. So now their basis of the house is now gonna be $200,000. So if you sold it the day after that first spouse died, there's no capital gains tax. You don't have to pay capital gains on that $100,000 difference. It has a new basis at that $200,000. So it's it's really great in trying to avoid capital gains tax. And you know, it's really important to note that this happens automatically. You know, there's there's no election. You don't have to do anything to get this step up in basis. Once someone passes away, that automatically happens to that asset.
0: Yeah, maybe to, to take both of those concepts and kind of put them together here. So Kim, you mentioned inside basis and Rachel, what you're describing would be outside basis in the context of a partnership. So for example, if a partnership, which has more than one partner owns assets, the partnership, the entity, the legal entity, the partnership itself owns that asset, not the partners. What the partners own is a different asset and that is their interest in the partnership. And so therefore the, the tax basis of the partnership asset inside the partnership has, has, is one value. And then the basis in the partnership interest themselves that are in the hands of the actual partners is different value. The partnership asset basis being the inside basis and the partnership interest basis that's in the hands of the partner being the outside basis. And so it's the partnership interest is the actual asset that the partner who dies owns when they die. And therefore that's where you get this automatic basis adjustment because the, the rule says when somebody dies, whatever they own that's includable in their estate gets this adjustment to the basis. It gets an increase in the basis. So you automatically get this adjustment to the outside basis. Then as Kim is pointing out, if you want for the partnership, of course, the partnership doesn't die, right? Because it's an entity. So if but if you want the partnership to get an adjustment to its inside basis, then the partnership has to make an a tax election, a 754 election. So on the outside, in the partner's hand, the, the person who died, the basis adjustment, automatic. It happens automatically. Inside the partnership, where no one has died because the partnership itself can't die. It's just a legal entity. You have to make a tax election in order to get a basis step up. And so there's this kind of split concept where you could have an automatic adjustment on the outside in the outside basis, and then not have the automatic adjustment inside the partnership. If somebody doesn't make this 754 election for the partnership, I'm sure we'll get into uh, a lot more of the details of that here in just a minute, but just to kind of flesh that out, there are kind of two different tracks here that you're dealing with when it comes to a partnership for really any entity. You can have a basis in the partnership assets, the entity assets inside inside the entity, and then the basis of the entity interests themselves, the partnership interests or the shares or whatever, in the hands of the owners. And it's that interest in the hands of the owner that gets the automatic basis step up. So what happens then if the partner who dies is married?
2: Right. So... The partner that dies is married and his spouse or her spouse actually steps into their shoes with the ownership interest. And that's when it can be beneficial if the inside assets of the partnership are appreciated assets for the partnership to um, make a 754 step up election so that the inside basis can be adjusted upwards on behalf of the surviving spouse the thriving spouse will get a special allocation of that increase in basis uh, adjustment for the fair market value increase in the assets.
0: And then outside, on the outside basis side of things, so Rachel, then what happens if the partner was married when they passed away?
1: Yeah, so on the outside, if the partner was married in a community property state, so for example, in Arizona, then the community property, the assets get a full step up in basis. So kind of let me break that down a little bit. So in a community property state, each spouse owns a 50% interest in the asset. And when you think of the step up in basis, like I said earlier, it's you know all of the assets that are includable in uh, the individual's estate that gets the step up in basis. So you would think, okay, 50%. But community property actually gets a second step up in basis. And how that works is the entire community property uh, interest, so of both spouses, gets the step up in basis. So it's not just that fifty percent that the deceased spouse owns; it's one hundred percent of the interest gets a step up in basis. So that's really great. So any you know any of that outside basis, all of that is going to get a step up in basis at the deceased partner's death.
0: Yeah, and, and the the distinction there that you're making then is with community property if you if you think a community property is 50-50 owned between spouses even though only one spouse dies 100% not 50% 100% of that community asset gets a brand new basis exactly we say yeah. i mean we say basis step up because we optimistically think that property always appreciates in value it could be a step down if property has depreciated in value but I'd say quite colloquially, it is called a basis step up. In the partnership context, let's say one spouse owns a partnership interest. They live in a, say, community property state. And so, and the partnership interest is community property. You could have an asset now that in their hands, because it's community property, will get a 100% basis step up. Whereas if it was joint property, it would only get a 50% basis step up. And that's now that's not. It's not very common that you'd have a partnership interest that's owned as joint property, uh, but just sort of theoretically, if you play along here, that's what would happen. Uh, but for example, you could have spouses who are both partners in the partnership and each of their interests in the partnership is community property. And the community properties would say property rules, excuse me, would say that both, both spouses would get a hundred percent basis adjustment for their interest in this outside basis in the partnership, when one of them passes away, because they each own 50% of the other's community interest in this partnership. So community property has this really big amplifying effect. In an era like we're living in now, where the estate tax does not kick in unless somebody has a net worth of more than $11.58 million, basically, when they pass away, estate tax is not really a huge factor for a lot of people, but the income tax and the capital gains benefits of this basis step up can be a really big tax savings, because it can basically just wipe the slate clean and eliminate a bunch of capital gains that have never been realized in the hands of the deceased person, and then the family doesn't have to pay those capital gains, so it's a huge tax benefit, and you get it by dying. That's what you get. Yeah, it's
2: interesting, I I had done a tax projection for a client, for a partnership, as to what their gain, what the taxable portion of the gain that would pass through to them on the sale of a rental pro- or a property inside the partnership would be. And it was about $400,000. And then the spouse, the husband, unexpectedly passed away. And then the property was actually sold a year later. And so they got the step up in basis from a 754 election inside the partnership up to the current fair market value. And so instead of having that large gain, they had a special allocation of the step-up and actually had no gain on the sale of the property. So that was a huge um, tax benefit, albeit from a very sad event.
0: Yeah, 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 but that's a really, it's a very good point that that you make there or that you illustrate there in that the inside, so inside the partnership, inside basis allocation on a 754 election, is a special allocation to the share of that asset of the deceased partner, not the surviving partners. It's only the deceased partner's interest. So if it's a 50-50 partnership, you know, let's say uh, each partner put in $50 into the partnership. The partnership bought real estate worth $100 and one partner, let's say partner A, dies when the real estate's worth $200. Then partner A is going to get the benefit of half of that $100 of appreciation since they bought the property. And so partner A's inside basis gets a special, basically $50 allocation. So if they ever sell the property at for $200, partner A will, will have no capital gains because their inside basis will be $100 and their 50% share of $200 in proceeds will be $100. And so there'll be no capital gains, but partner B who survived doesn't get that. And so partner B's inside basis will remain $50 so that when they sell that 200 and you allocate 100 of that to partner B, there's a $50 capital gain, all just because A died and they made the 754 election and they made a special inside basis allocation to A. So it doesn't apply to all the partners. I think sometimes people get confused by that. It doesn't mean it's not a huge benefit. It just doesn't apply equally.
1: Right.
2: And I guess I should also point out that once you make the 754 election, It's irrevocable. So in the future, if the values were to decline and there were another event, you're locked into the 754 election and you would have to actually do a step down in basis because you've already made the 754 election. So you have an option the first time around, whether you want to make it or not, depending upon whether or not the values have increased of the assets but once you make it, you're locked into it for future events, whether or not it would be a step up or a step down.
0: Yeah, very good point. So let's say a partnership that has volatile assets, maybe you wouldn't want to make a 754 election. Why else would a partnership say not want a 754 election?
2: Well, if the value of the assets has gone down and you do make the 754 election, then in essence, instead of getting a special allocation of deductions, you would be getting a special allocation of income, which is not
0: something that you would want. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if the, so kind I guess two different scenarios then where you might not want the 754 election. So say part in our example, partner A dies, but actually the value of the real estate had gone down. Well, partner A's, family members probably don't want the 754 election because then they're going to get their inside basis adjusted down and that will hurt them in the future. If they, if they sell, especially if they sell for a gain, it will be bad. Right. So they might not want that 754 election if the partners, So that's maybe one scenario. Another scenario, if the partnership say has invested in assets that swing up and down wildly, where you can't predict very well, where the values are going to be when somebody dies You might not want a 754 election because maybe not for the first partner, but for the next partner, it's a little bit of a roll of the dice. Because for the first one, you know what the values were on that person's date of death, but you don't know what the values are going to be in the future. And once you make the election, you're locked into it in the future. So that might be a scenario where a partnership wouldn't want to make the 754 election. The other, um, I don't know if this is the same for you, Kim, but what I see often is large partnerships with lots and lots of partners oftentimes do not want to make 754 elections somewhat for the reasons that we're describing, but also just because it becomes a tax accounting nightmare when you have lots of different partners transferring interests and dying and you're making all these special allocations all the time. It becomes really hard to track it all and kind of expensive to track it all.
2: Yeah. I've seen some really large spreadsheets doing that. (laughs) I'll bet.
1: (laughs) So how long, uh, sounds like, you know, like you were saying, Brett, this can be pretty complicated if you've got a large amount of partners involved. And obviously, when someone passes away, you've got already a lot going on. You've got an estate administration, a trust administration, possibly. There could be a probate thrown in there. So a lot of different things going on. So when do you have to make a 754 election? Like, how much time do you have to determine whether or not you want to make this irrevocable election or not?
2: the 754 election has to be made um, with the tax return for the year in which the person either died or whatever the event is to start the 754 election. So it has to be made by the due date of the tax return for that tax year. So if it were the 2019 tax return, I guess this is a bad year to use this as an example because all the due dates changed, but <laughs> yeah. um, you, would, you would normally have to make the election by April 15th. But this year, since all the due dates changed, it would need to be made by July 15th of the following year. Or if the return's extended, it can be made by the extended due date of the tax return, which for a partnership would be September 15th of 2020.
0: Yeah, so it's... A, it's- Really challenging to to manage all the different due dates, especially when a partner dies, because you could have a bunch of different dates that are important, their tax filing dates or their election dates, but they're all on different schedules. So, the 754 election, as Kim you exactly pointed out, is due when the partnership return is due. And then the deceased partner's estate may have an income tax return that could be on a fiscal year beginning at the end of the month before they died. So that may not be due for well over a year, could be like a year and a half almost before that return is due. So that's a totally different due date. And then there could be an estate tax return that's filed for the deceased partner. That's due nine months after the date of death. Plus you can get a six month extension. So up to 15 months out of the date of death. So you can have all these different tax due dates and they all really matter. And it can be can be easy to forget about the 754 election because it's made at the partnership level and not the deceased partners level unless there's a lot of communication between the deceased partners estate and the partnership because they might not you know it might not be a partnership full of family members right that may be unrelated parties who are just off doing business and they're not too concerned with the intricacies of the estate administration process and making tax elections for the deceased partner's estate. So you just have to have a lot of communication when a partner dies with a partnership interest because you have to coordinate all these different deadlines and you don't want to trip up and forget about one like a 754 election because you, the estate, don't control that election directly.
2: Right, and it's not something that you can just amend a tax return and add an election to um, because it actually has to be made by the extended due date of the tax return
0: right, yeah, and the and the due date of the partnership tax return could be a totally different due date than the estate's income tax return or the deceased person's personal final 10, 1040 tax return. So you have all these different due dates. it becomes very easy if someone's not familiar with with all of this, it can be very easy to forget that there are different tax matters that are on totally different time horizons and they really have to be tracked carefully, otherwise you're going to miss one. We kind of try to have what for more complex estates, especially where there are partnership interests that are involved, we try to have a bit of a all hands-on deck meeting when we're representing the estate with the whoever the personal representative or executive of the estate is, you know, us, we're usually representing them. If there are any beneficiaries, the beneficiaries are their lawyers, the accountants, financial advisors, and just get everybody to understand really, really quickly up front all these little moving parts that we have to be mindful of and then sometimes there are even more deadlines than the ones that I've mentioned you know you could have say IRAs and there's distribution deadlines on IRAs and things that you have to track that are on different different time horizons and so it just takes a lot of coordination and you just need a lot of communication to make it work you just absolutely have to communicate a lot and with everybody I agree
2: the sooner the better. A lot of times people think, you know, somebody passed away. Oh, we have a lot of time to get things filed, which is true. But if you're trying to go backwards and try to get the value of assets as of that person's day to death, the longer you wait to do it, the harder it becomes. So what you're describing makes complete sense to me, just to get all hands on deck as soon as possible so that everybody knows what needs to be done and knows
0: whose responsibility
2: it is to follow up on these things. So they don't all wait until the last minute and then it becomes
0: crazy. Yeah, precisely. Well, shall we, shall we talk about war stories? <laughs> it sounds so intense.
2: Yeah. I, um, so let's see, I have, I have several stories. What the first one I wanted to bring up is it's a happy story, <laughs> but, um, it's a new client that we got and um, an older gentleman and his spouse had passed away eight years previously and they owned a rental property together and he came in just to get his tax return prepared and of course of looking at his prior year return, of course, asking him about you know the rental property and when he purchased it. And that led to the question of, you know, was the basis stepped up in the property when his wife passed away? And of course he had no idea what I was talking about. And so we ended up looking at it and he was able, we we were able to go backwards, uh, figure out, you know, the um, fair market value of the property when his spouse passed away eight years ago. And, you know, at first glance, somebody might think, oh, well, it was eight years ago, so it's too late to do anything about it. But in reality, there are certain tools that are available for people to basically correct things that should have been done a long time ago, especially with depreciation. So, you know, in a perfect world, the rental property would have gotten a step up in basis when the first spouse passed away. But since they didn't do that, we could actually use what's called a change in accounting method to step up the basis of the rental property in the year that the taxpayer was in. So that was kind of exciting because you treat it as if the additional depreciation were taken on the property since the date it was first available. So that would have been eight years ago and you get to catch up all that depreciation in one single year. So um, for this fellow, he got a pretty big increase in depreciation, it's called a 481 a adjustment. And he was able to take that adjustment in one single year, basically eight additional years worth of depreciation. So he was pretty happy because it zeroed out his taxable income for that year and actually produced enough losses to zero out his taxable income for the next four years. So, so four years in, I'm still doing his tax return. And this is the first year he's actually had taxable income since we did that. So it worked wow. out pretty well for him. Yeah. Yeah, so, I'd,
0: so. I'd say so. and that that gets a little bit to the point of well one like how do you prove the basis step up well you have to get an appraisal done you know that's how you figure out what the fair market value was and then
2: yeah right and he's a pretty savvy real estate guy so
0: he was able to reconstruct and help us figure out
2: what the basis was so it's not you know, always a perfect world, especially when you're going backwards. So there's a little bit of risk there, you know, as to determining what the value of something was eight years ago. But we were able to piece it together with different sorts of information.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the other the other point there might be that kind of to what what Rachel was talking about at the beginning here, where when when someone dies and they own a rental property and I'm assuming this was not in a partnership. It was this just A rental property that they owned. Mm -hmm. That, uh, technically, under the rules, the basis step-up happens at death. But if you file tax returns and you report it a particular way, so for example, without a basis step-up, you can't just change your mind. You have to you have to get permission in some way to change your accounting method. The accounting method being, I have an asset that actually did step up in basis, therefore I have depreciation deductions I can take now. And so I think people have to just realize that like, even if you've been reporting it incorrectly, you can't just change course without alerting the IRS to the fact that you've changed course because the IRS has been basically relying on you to tell them what the facts were for those four years. And so if the four years have closed, the IRS can't come back and audit you. You're stuck with that unless you get their permission to change course now.
2: Right, right. And so that's where the change in accounting method comes in. And it's a pretty lengthy form, but it's pretty powerful. And it allows you to make changes to depreciable basis, depreciation methods, among other things. And instead of having to amend returns or not being able to amend returns because the statute of limitations um, or the year's closed, you do it in the current tax year.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's uh, that's good thinking very creative thinking.
2: <laughs> he was happy. And then another example, this was a one that it wasn't anything that was overlooked, but it was this was actually a rental property inside an LLC and this prop this property is actually located in a non-community property state, so not Arizona. So even though the actually the in this case the deceased person and the surviving spouse both lived in non-community property states um, along with the rental property. And so this one was interesting because they weren't giant numbers and they did get a step up in basis for the deceased spouse interest in the property. It was a 50% step up because the property in, is located in non-community property state. So in order to enhance the tax benefits of the 50% step up in basis, we actually want to step further so that the surviving spouse could get even more deduction by doing a cost segregation study on the 50% step-up in basis. So a cost segregation study is actually an engineering study that can be done to rapidly depreciate the basis of the property, and you can actually do it on 754 step-up. So instead of having to depreciate that rental property step-up over 27 and a half years which is the normal depreciate, depreciable life for a rental property, we could actually depreciate a good portion of it over 5, 7, and 15 years to get much quicker depreciation on that step up. So although there was no you know, catch-up in basis where everything gets to be taken in the first year, they, the surviving staff actually got a nice, a nice series of depreciation deductions over five years for the more rapid depreciation from the cost segregation study. So that worked out really well as, as well.
0: So can you can you explain then, just, just drill down just a little on what portions of the real estate get the five-year depreciation, seven-year depreciation, et cetera?
2: Yeah. So when we do a cost segregation study, an engineering-based study, so what we do is we go in with an engineer and figure out what parts of the building can be considered non-structural. So there are certain things that you can break out into sh- shorter depreciable life based on Whether, whether they're considered structural or non-structural. So in an apartment, there are quite a few things that can be broken out. And when I say broken out, I mean depreciated over a shorter period of time than the normal 27 and a half year life. So there's a lot of things in kitchens that can be broken out. There's certain types of flooring that can be broken out, the electrical, certain parts of electrical in the building, certain plumbing items. So that's why it has to be an engineering based study though, because It's not stuff that you can just look at and say, oh, that should be a shorter life property. You actually have to figure out how to break those items out. And that's why it has to be with an engineer, but it can totally be worth doing it because you get that much more rapid depreciation than if you just leave everything at the long life, 27 and a half years.
0: Yeah, so if you think of a building and all of different components that go into a building, well, not all of those components are really real estate that fits within the category of real estate that gets depreciated over 27 and a half years, right? You can, with an engineer, figure out what pieces of this building are different, as you're pointing out. And then right. to the extent that they're different, and they fit into a, say, a five-year category, a seven-year category, et cetera, you can depreciate them faster. And yeah, again, I think that's really great, really good creative thinking about how to then take a 754 election and make a basis adjustment on all those individual items so that you get the basis adjustment and then you can take the quicker depreciation on whatever fits within a shorter than 27 and a half year depreciation schedule.
2: Yeah. So it's totally a win-win.
0: Right. (laughs) So let me give you one slight twist on this. Uh, What if the partnership is not a partnership, but it is an S corporation or it is an LLC that has made an election to become an S corporation. What happens in that case?
2: And are you saying in the case of someone passing away?
0: Yeah. 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 Sorry.
2: So basically the S corporation owner owns stock in that S corporation and the value. So if that, so I have an example. So if you have um A couple that owns stock in an S corporation and one of the spouses passes away and actually ends up selling their interest you have a shareholder basis schedule that has the basis of the deceased spouse's interest in the S corporation but if they were to sell their stock to say for simplicity if they were to sell the stock in the S corporation when or shortly after the um, spouse passed away there would be g- no gain on the sale of that stock, even though the basis in the stock might be super low because they get a step up in basis of the value of the stock as of the day to death. So it's kind of like an outside basis type concept that we were talking about earlier.
0: Yeah. And then what about, what about the, on the inside basis, that, uh, with respect to the basis, the tax basis of the S corporation's assets, the companies? Assets. So, if, you know, let's say, like in the last example, we were talking about the S corporation owns the building. What happens to the inside basis of the building?
2: There's no change.
0: So, no 754 election and no equivalent, no. I guess, to a 754 election. No. I, I asked this a little bit to make a point, which is that, especially with an LLC. Uh, The LLC, if it has multiple members, you know, by default, it's a partnership for tax purposes. Very frequently, people will make an S election for the LLC to make it taxed like an S corporation. And they might do that for a lot of good reasons, some employment tax reasons. But once they make that election, they are giving up the ability to do a 754 election in the future when somebody passes away. So there's, I think that that election just kind of has to be made with eyes wide open about, okay, what's it going to do for me now? And then what would it do if I passed away? And does that matter? I mean, if the answer is, no, it doesn't really matter, that it's not a big deal. But if the answer is, yeah, it does matter, then it could be a big deal, especially if the company is going to own assets that will appreciate in value or even be depreciated, but maintain their fair market value. Because without that 754 election, you can't increase the basis and therefore start taking depreciation deductions again.
2: Right. That's a really good point.
0: And I guess then it'd be the same result if the partnership itself never made the 754 election, right? It'd be like there, there's no adjusted, but right. automatic adjustment to the inside basis inside right, the partnership. Right, right. Right. One thing that one thing we see occasionally is a partnership or an S corporation where somebody has died. They didn't make. A 754 election in the case of a partnership or in the case of an S corporation, it, it wasn't possible to make one. And we think, well, is that a problem? Are, are we losing something? If the mm-hmm. company owns say non-depreciable assets, then the answer is no. Say so if it owns land that you can't depreciate, then you're not really missing from a depreciation perspective, anything necessarily. But if they, if the partnership sells the land or the S corp sells the land, then then you could have a problem. And there's a little, there's a weird little hitch to it, a little fix to it. And that is if the partnership or S-Corp sells its assets and liquidates all in the exact same tax year, then the deceased partner's family, if values don't change from the date of death, will not pay any capital gains. So what happens is the partnership or the S-Corp sells its asset. It generates a capital gain inside the entity. That capital gain is that Allocated to the remaining partners, including the deceased person's estate or family members. When they get allocated that gain, it increases their outside basis, which was already automatically stepped up, like Rachel was saying. So it was already, say, automatically stepped up to its fair value. And then you add on top of it their share of the capital gain. And then when the partnership or escort pays out cash, the deceased person or their estate gets cash that basically is equal to the fair market value on their date of death. And they're left with this extra basis, outside basis, equal to the gain that was allocated to them. Well, when you're left with basis in your outside basis in your hands, when a company liquidates, that's an S corp or a partnership that generates a capital loss. So if all of this happens in the same year, you'd pick up a capital gain and they'd have a capital loss and they would offset each other and it would net out to zero in a perfect world. So right. sometimes when there isn't a 754 election we, where we have seen that happen, that's the plan to get out and to not not cause more harm than good. Or if they're gonna, you know, say sell the, the underlying partnership asset, anyways. That's the way we have them do it. We say, okay, well, if you're gonna do this, you must sell and liquidate all in the same year. And then you just mm-hmm. you know go from there, obviously. Sometimes there are factors outside of one's control, like willing buyers or not, but uh, that's all, you know, we're always, we always kind of have our eye on that.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point.
0: So let me throw one other thing in here. Actually, this is something that Rachel and I were talking about earlier, and it's if the partner or shareholder in S Corp, doesn't really matter, but the, we'll say the partner in the partnership is a trust that's a revocable trust and the person who set up that trust, the set law of the trust dies, all of these same rules apply as if they owned the interest in the partnership directly, not in the trust. So very typical estate planning would be to, to have somebody create a revocable trust. It kind of becomes a will substitute. They put their assets in it, including their partnership interests. And then when they die, all these basis rules apply equally to the trust as it would have applied to them if they held that partnership interests in their own individual hands so just one little one little twist on that that we hadn't quite gotten to but that's that's the way it works too
1: right yeah that's a good point brent to even though you think oh we got a trust involved oh no we got another layer no you just kind of have to look through that trust kind of mm-hmm. see exactly what we still got going on and you could still apply all the basis analysis
0: yeah if it's if it's a revocable trust that's exactly that's the yes <laughs> If it's not a revocable trust, then it's it's a little more complex, and I don't think we have time to get into all of the the nuances there. But it, if it's a revocable trust, the answer is very clear.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, any uh, any parting uh, parting words of wisdom, Kim?
2: Parting words of wisdom. <laughs> no, it's interesting. And there's just there's so many different creative things that you can do, and. You know, never say never if you think you can't do something um, because of statute of limitations or because something's being depreciated wrong or because the basis wasn't stepped up. Um, there usually there's usually a way around it. I mean, there are certain things that there aren't ways around like a late 754 election but. But other than that, you know, there are a lot of creative things that you can do with proper tax planning and even after the fact. And I think some of the examples we went through just now illustrated that.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Kim. We really, really appreciate you. So glad that you took time out of your day to share some of your thoughts with us. I know I learned a lot and I hope other people have learned a lot as well. Thanks again.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Hey, listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us reviews. uh, Subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law. Basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.